Hello and welcome to an episode of the Hoop Scoop Podcast. My name is Nate with my pod pal Phil. How good it is to be back. Been a long time coming. We are a little over a quarter of the NBA season. Maybe a, a third-ish? A little less we than a third? We might be getting somewhere into bet- a third territory. Somewhere between a quarter and a third. And figured it's a good time to do some reflection upon early season takes and then also just kind of making sense of what we have to deal with at this point in time and just take it from there yeah talk about some stuff we didn't get to get out on last time or if we didn't get the pot out in time to make sense and we'll we'll go over our flounderings and our flourishes all right so let's start out with kind of parlaying some early season thoughts into what's going on now best take worst take what what it looks like now Still time for those takes to reshape and turn into good takes, turn into bad takes, whatever the case may be. But at this point point in time, we could definitely make some kind of assessment. And I'll let you start, Phil. What what is what was something that you thought was gonna happen before the season and looks like it's on its way to happening? Um, I guess it all just comes down to being a believer. I was uh, early on the wagon for the Bulls. I thought it was a very good coming together of guys and Defense seemed to be really powerful, and we were talking about it, uh, you know, last pod that didn't come out. It seemed like something similar to the Nets, where you kind of argued that they might not have the offensive ceiling, and I was kind of countered with, it might be able to be countered that itself with the defense. So instead of being a net ceiling where it's just all offense and no defense, the Bulls are able to kind of balance it out the two and be pretty powerful on offense and defense, and it seems to be that's the case right now. DeMar and Zach Levine before they went COVID stuff, over 25 points a game, and the defense has been I – don't, I don't know the exact ranking, but it's been really high in the, in the NBA so far. Yeah, so Chicago's a lot to take in. They've been the talk of the league for a while now. Things getting a little weird over there now. Games have to be postponed because of the, the COVID stuff. But with all that being said, can't deny the results. Second in the, NBA, second in the East right now. 10 and 10 and yeah it's crazy because their defense is actually better than their offense their offense is hovering around the average it's 13th in the nba but their defense is seventh and a lot of the concerns that i had i i, I guess because this was kind of my worst take because i thought the bulls were gonna be you know playing bound and hey it's not too late all right we're still we still got a lot of ball left to play but as of now what's happening is their perimeter defense is really making up for their interior defense, which I still think could be a problem come playoff time, and I want to get your thoughts on that. But yeah, just yeah. Ter- but just right now, they have some of the best perimeter defense in the NBA. Caruso, Lonzo Ball, that's about as tough as it gets up top. And then their bench players, although they don't have a lot of scoring punch off the bench, guys like Javante Green, Aldisumno, those guys are coming in and fighting defensively fighting on the boards and helping kind of fill in the gaps because offensively they've been taken care of by Levine and DeRozan who are both on their way to all NBA seasons. I mean, it's crazy to say because DeRozan kind of an afterthought in the league the last two years, but he's in the MVP conversation. I don't think anybody would pick him right now, but if you had to make a short list of five to seven guys, I think you'd have to have DeRozan in that conversation right now. Yeah, you have to include him just off of the impact he's had and 
It's kind of like that Chris Paul thing last year where he was, I think he finished top five MVP voting. I could be misquoted on that. But, you know, it's just that overall impact as well as having the stats to back it up. It's a feel-good story, too. So it's got that, you know, like a touch that LeBron loves to, to eat up at. But, yeah, I mean, the, the Bulls, we haven't even their full final component yet. Vooch has just kind of came along maybe five, ten games before this whole COVID thing came out. So nothing really had a chance to mash or come together. So it's going to be interesting to see. Hopefully everyone comes back healthy, is ready to go in probably like a week or and a half or two. And then when it's, you know, kind of in, more well integrated, then you can plug in the Levine and DeRozan uh, seven guys that are missing from the Bulls right now and see how they yeah. look as a full product. Yeah. So the talk, kind of expanding on the Bulls conversation, uh, big picture wise, because I, I still do think there's question. The, the Vucevic thing has been the, if you're going to nitpick, that's been the one sore spot, spot with Chicago where you kind of look at what Vucevic is doing. And sometimes he kills you at, uh, when he's able to get to that pick and pop, you know, when he's going and gets a team like the Knicks who just are allergic to defending big men who can shoot, but that's a conversation for another day. But, you know, there, there are some times where you look at Vooch and you're like, eh, I, I kind of just wish the Bulls had more of a defensive minded center that, I mean, the shooting is great, but sometimes it doesn't seem like he's what they need. And, is that going to hurt them in the playoffs? Because Vooch in the past, although he's had some big postseason games, he has hurt you defensively, and you can kind of match up hunt him in a playoff series. What do you think about their long-term playoff contention? Like, are they in? Because I think most people would say Nets and Bucks. Do you think they're in that top tier, or are you not going there yet? I think they definitely deserve to be in the conversation for the top tier. If not a space can be made for them in the top tier just because you can't disqualify them. They can be the bottom rung of it. They definitely need to be in it. You know what I'm saying? Mm. So the Vucevic thing is definitely a core of it. My big question going into the season was, what is the pace going to look like? Is this a team that can function in the half court with DeRozan and Lonzo Ball, who basically, I mean, Lonzo Ball possibly a year away from being having an aberration of a three-point year. Happily, we he's able to back that up and be pretty consistent this year. DeRozan was not a very shaky three-point shooter. And then Vucevic is kind of give or take. Like he could be a really good shooter one year and then kind of gone the next, like, kind of like Brooke Lopez. So goals or all three of them don't pan out, then you're looking at a really tough half-court system when it comes to playoff time. And what does Levine do when the paint is kind of packed? Fire away from three or get like a tough midi off. So seeing how that's going to play out as the season goes on. Obviously, everyone seems to be going in on their three-point shot and able to space the floor as well as Caruso's come in and be a really good three and tie. So, yeah, I mean, thinking about Vooch is going to be a question mark. It would be really cool, and it's not going to happen. It would be really cool if something about Miles Turner because that seems to be the prototypical, although you could say that for any team where Miles Turner yeah. is the prototypical big man. But, yeah, it's it's like it's Vooch or nothing. It's tough to see that they traded Wendell Carter for him because they traded mm. they got him for Wendell Carter because he's kind of come alive and is maybe a hybrid for mm. what the Bulls would want to do as a center. But, I mean, it is now, and they really don't have any backup big depth. So hopefully via trade or uh, buyout market, they could pick up someone that makes more sense in the second unit. I would hope 
I mean, I've been a big JaVale McGee is just your really good backup big. Mm-hmm. If they could find someone like that in the market, that's really tough to do nowadays because that's a really good energizer type thing. So I, I don't know. They run smooches on the floor. And there's really no other option. So it's tough. What do you think? Yeah, I'm not I'm not ready to put them in that tier. I think that they're a team that, you know, should should win a first round series, I'd say, if they're able to stay in that top tier of the Eastern Conference. I, I don't see any reason why they shouldn't be able to stay there. But the, I don't know matchup wise if they have enough options. You know, like you, they're they're kind of, they're a thin team. They don't have a lot off the bench, which is fine because Levine and DeRozan are giving them all the firepower they need. But yeah, it's when you look at Vooch and this not nothing against Vooch as a player. I think he could help a lot of teams, but just for what they need specifically, I you raise a good point, Wendell Carter, who's having a really nice defensive season. Offensively he has some things to be desired, but that's Pick okay on a team like Chicago. He would probably be a really nice fit and a guy that could kind of grow with them. Uh so yeah, that that trade's not aging great just because it doesn't seem like he's as necessary as we probably thought. So I'm still a little hesitant to put them in that top tier, but they're playing good ball and you got to be excited if you're a Chicago fan. The Lonzo Ball signing is looking nice. The DeRozan signing is looking great. Getting Caruso, who I think any team in the league would be dying to have. That's that's awesome. So good stuff happening in Chicago for sure, but I'm not going to put him in that top tier just yet. I think it's Nets and Bucks and then everybody else in the East. All right, fair enough. Uh, are you talking just top tier for the East? Yeah, East. Yeah, I'd still fit them in. They're probably the the bottom <laughs> of it or at the kitty table, but they, they, I think they deserve to come to come to the. I mean, are you 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 give them more you give them more championship equity than Miami right now. That was uh, we talked about this in the first in the beginning pod. I was committed as a dark horse to one of them. I knew one of them was going to be really interesting, and I forget which one I inevitably decided on liking more, but they both look good. I think Chicago seems more promising as of right now, just because of the defensive potential, as well as Bam seems very kind of inconsistent in terms of when he's on the floor, he's inconsistent, he's inconsistent whether he's on or off the floor. So you kind of have two different variables counteracting how, the, how impactful the heat can be. Yeah. It's hard to even talk Miami right now because of you got Bam out four to six weeks. Jimmy Butler's not playing right now they're kind of in for the long haul and it seems like they're kind of taking this portion of the season off. So I don't, I'm not too interested in talking about the heat, but I'd say Chicago's probably in that heat tier. Um, but we will see. There's a lot of, there's a lot of ball left. Maybe Chicago elevates, maybe Chicago drops off. We'll see. I want to go Westville on a team that I, is this your, your best take? Yeah. It's, I'm not going to, I'm not going to say I was super bullish on them, but it was a team that I think would be better than most people thought, and that's the Clippers. Clippers mm-hmm. in at 16 and 12 right now, fifth in the West. What's been is I've always thought since Kawhi and Paul George came to the team, and obviously Kawhi hasn't played the season, but I've always thought there's the defensive promise that we were told was going to happen. It just never really did. And lo and behold, in the season when Kawhi's not playing, they're having arguably their best defensive stretch of basketball, fourth in the NBA in defensive. They're having a lot of guys that are just putting together career years. Luke Kennard's playing really good. Uh, Re- Reggie Jackson is giving them all that they can handle. Paul George has been out recently, and they're still winning games. Harnstein's come come up as a, a pretty good backup big, but they kind of got off the scrap heap 
And Brandon Boston actually too recently getting some run and showing that that might have been kind of a steal. You know, we all know the story of Brandon Boston high high school recruit had a miserable college season and Clippers get him in the second round. I just think the Clippers they're they're playing very good cohesive basketball and it's no secret that they don't really have much of a shot unless Kawhi comes. Is Kawhi going to come? I, I don't know. He said that he wants to, but what I've seen so far is just very encouraging in terms of like a core that will be ready to go when Kawhi comes back. Cause I don't see there needing to be any other adjustment. Sometimes it looks like Paul George is doing a little bit too much and that will obviously be alleviated when Kawhi comes. I mean, Paul George's numbers aren't even very good right now just because every he he has one great game then he'll have a clunker then he'll have two great games and a clunker his efficiency is not great he's shooting 32 percent from three 42 percent from the field and if you showed me those numbers before the season i'd probably say oh this is a this is a bad iso offense for the clippers that's probably below 500 and their offense isn't great they're 25th in the league but their defense is carrying them they're, they're competing they don't give a ton of breakdowns um as i said the center rotation is really good between zubats and hartenstein so I've just been impressed with the Clippers. Yeah, that reminds me, the way you're describing it, it reminds me a lot of that. I think it was 2018-2019 Clippers team where it was Toby, it was Lou Will, it was Pat Bev, a whole bunch of really good rotation pieces that just figured out their roles and played it to a T. And mm-hmm. I think it's nice to think of it like that and to think, okay, but they're not realistically shipping this team off the next year to find something yeah. else. They're going to, this is going to be the team Kawhi just kind of plugs into and everyone's going to have a year of getting used to each other and knowing where the spots are, what the roles are. And then Kawhi just alleviates the duties Paul George has to do. So that just makes it that much easier for them as a squad. So I think they're going to be really interesting, at least in the next year, because how much more of the contract PG's in it for the long haul. Kawhi has another year. He got got the extension too, Kawhi. Okay, never mind then. I keep thinking he got one of those like, quick extensions like a year yeah, or two. He did, anyway, I think he did three or four I think you mentioned one of the Clippers surprisingly brighter so? brighter spots blood so yeah you, you yeah, guys have been decent that's been decent some oh, some no. games better some <laughs> games better than everyone others. else gets singing praises and blood blood has been decent well actually uh, somebody that I really didn't sing the praise of that I should have is Terrence Mann because geez was oh, he yeah. fun. Terrence Mann I mean, which team would not want Terrence Mann, a guy that comes off the bench, rebounds the hell out of the ball, uh, plays high-level defense, three-point shot coming along, 37% this year. I mean, not crazy volume, but still, when he's wide open, I mean, I got no problem with him taking it. That's like Those are the kind of players that throughout those early Lob City years with Blake and Chris Paul – they they were kind of they're always trying to find those fringe guys to play on the wing to hit some open threes to play defense and they're never able to find them, and it seems like they finally are able to find them. I'm just you know fringe players that were kind of available for anybody, and they're able to get them. So credit the front office, credit the coaching staff for giving them the opportunity. And yeah, it, it's it's a fun team. All right, how about? Are you done with your, your Clippers? I, I think that was a good pick. Clippers are, are very fun to watch now, and it, I definitely didn't see it coming. Are you ready to move to our, to our I'm ready. sides? I'm ready. All right. You want to start? I'll Take start. Lead. I'll start with the hometown boys, and it was, it was a conversation we had kind of comparing the Knicks to your Bulls, and I was very – They're not my adamant. Bulls. Your bulls, your bulls. Don't, don't give me that. Your your bulls. No. And 
I was adamant saying the Knicks are better than the Bulls. I'd be shocked if they were not. I thought the Knicks, listen, I don't think the Knicks were contenders, but I thought they'd be squarely, you know, up, up around 500 to above 500, be squarely in the fringe playoff play and picture. And the Knicks are bad right now. The Knicks are a bad team right now. There's still a lot of time left in the season. I'm still, I have not lost faith. I think they are going to find themselves in the play-in. But right now, it's bad. They're not playing good defense. They're not playing good offense. A lot of the young players are not taking the leap that we thought they might be able to. The signings aren't looking good. Julius Randle has regressed tremendously. And there's really not a whole lot of positive to talk about. They got COVID issues now, too. RJ Barrett. Obi Toppin and Quentin Grimes all in protocol. Obi Toppin probably been the brightest spot of the season, although he's been far from perfect. His three-point shot is abysmal. He's shooting below 20%, but he still does a lot of winning stuff on the floor. Um, him and Derek Rose are probably the two most consistent players, which is like not a winning formula. Kemba Walker falling out of the rotation, as everybody knows. It's just kind of a mess, and there's not a whole lot of positives going on. And obviously a team that me and you probably watched the most of. We definitely watched the most of. And it's just bad. 18th in offensive rating, 23rd in defensive rating, 12 and 16 overall. And I mean, they're they're thoroughly outplayed most games. You know, it's 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 not good. It's not good. They're, they don't look like a good team right now. Yeah, it goes beyond the span of I mean, from what we've seen and what we've talked about, it seems like it goes beyond the span of metrics. It's it just seems like everyone's lazy lazified or tired out from maybe a full season of Tibbs last year and whatever it may be but the mentality and the effort seems to be severely lacking I do want to bring up a quick thing did you know it was from the guy that does the, the Knicks wall post games do you know past it's either five or eight games Fournier has been shooting 20 percent from three doesn't shock me it's, it's probably not high volume he I, I it's, it's not supremely he, high volume yeah yeah, the amount of games where he just he he checks out like twenty four minutes, one for four, it's ridiculous. So I mean, Fournier is playing like crap. It's also like I don't know what our plan is for him. I mean, we're we're essentially using him as a spot up shooter, which isn't the worst thing in the world. I mean, he should be a good shooter. Uh, I mean, I thought he'd be capable of a little bit more. Uh, I, I don't know. Especially he kills the you on the season. Him and Julius yeah. look like a interesting duo to say the least. Yeah. Although RJ was getting X'd out, but. Yeah, I mean, listen, if if, if RJ's going to – and R, we could talk about RJ because R, RJ's got his own stuff to deal with. And obviously the COVID's happening right now, but he hasn't exact. He, he's had some good games, but overall he hasn't, you know, taken like that all-star lead that people thought he would, which is probably presumptive to begin with. Yeah, but, I mean, can yeah. you blame him though? We We've had this discussion. Like he's fully to blame for that. His, his um, minutes and his like, his usage has been in terms of rotation and when he is in the rotation, specifically with the starters, weird mishmash of he might be the fourth most, he might be the fourth offensive option on the on the court at that point, you know, when it's like it was Kemba, it was Fournier, and then RJ and Mitch. It was like a weird, who who's, who's using the ball, who's going to be actually running it? Yeah, the starting lineup is a mess, and I don't, I, I don't think that it's it's good for him. But in, in the same breath, I'm not going to let him off the hook. I don't I don't think he's played particularly well, and 
yeah. So I, 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 it's fair. I think it's it's part it's part it's part system. It's part coaching. It's part players. I mean, you kind of get scared. Like, is this the is this the Tibbs fatigue that we kind of were warned about? I, I don't know. There's a, there's a lot of there's a lot of questions. And I mean, last night they played the Warriors and an overall a masculine game. That, like, I, I really had no fun watching that game last night between the, the ste- between the Stephen Curry hysterics and then oh. the Knicks just playing like crap. And it's Spike just tough to watch. It the just, entire... it just sucked. Yeah, the game just sucked. As soon as the step hit the three, hit the three well, to break the record. There's a bunch of yuppies in the building. I mean, that's what happens when you make tickets five hundred bucks. Like, it's yeah, a bunch you of... priced out all the the diehards that are throwing. Uh, they're spitting on Trey Young at courtside. Yeah, I mean, the Knicks do have a favorable schedule coming up, and it starts Thursday against Houston, which is an, a must-win game. I, I'd, I'd go as far as to say that. So, Depends we'll see. Playing season left. What's up? The pendulum's gonna swing. They this has been one of their I, tougher stretches. I do think so. Anyway, let's not get too hung up on that. Um, you just did your worst take. I'll do mine. I was high on the Hawks at least for the regular season. I created them. I did a fake little, um, not gossip, but little awards, and I gave the Hawks an aesthetic team where basically a team that looks really good in the regular season, but they, you know, they're not really a threat come playoff. The younger team that comes together and figures out their pieces and they go really hard in the regular season. Mm. Kind of like the Suns last year, Denver two or three years ago, or even New York last year. Anyway, so my big bet was the Hawks. It seemed like they were bringing everybody back and it was going to be basically the same thing, except they're all going to have a year under their belts of playing with each other and know where to find each other in not so i thought they'd be if anything just decently better and be one of the top east but so far it hasn't really come around to that yet yeah it's been a weird season for the hawks um bogdanovich missed a bunch of games recently that definitely hurts hunter can't stay on the floor he's only played 11 games and that just kind of seems like one of those things where you're surprised when you see hunter on the floor opposed to when he's out it's yeah, it's it's been disappointing. Um, I think most people thought after last year, like it was kind of a rite of passage thing, and the Hawks would, you know, be be right up there. And they they were. I mean, I I thought they were the third best team in the East, and I was pretty convinced after last year. the The offense is still good. I mean, they're they're playing good offense. Like the 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 Trey, Clint pick and rolls great. The Trey Collins pick and rolls even better. I believe there's I I forget which broadcast I was listening to, but they said the, they said the Trey Collins pick and rolls the the second most like popular tandem in terms of points produced. So, and that that's not shocking. They're second in the NBA in offensive rating, but defensive rating in the dumps, 25th in the NBA. Um, it's not a shock when you lose Hunter, who was in some ways kind of the, the glue that held that defense together. Um, I mean, we saw what he was capable of in the postseason last year. He kind of had a coming out party on both ends. And they lose him, and it was never a team that really prided itself on their defense. Clint Capella, offensively, he, he's producing, and he's getting his rebounds, but I don't think he's had the same defensive impact he's had in the past. Like, is oh, this keep team... talking about our, our fantasy boy. Cool. He, he puts his numbers up. Like, I mean, he's averaging we... 13.8 and 15.5. I don't know if the Should impact we... is there. Should we let the fan base in on our, our mad scheme, or basically, uh, what's it called, the big short our fantasy league moneyball yeah we played some moneyball uh, sabermetrics on our fantasy this year yeah yeah. we uh we could get into that later i guess continue 
yeah so i i just it's it's a team that i think we had to talk about because just win loss record wise it's been probably the most disappointing team and there's already rumors that they're looking to shop reddish for first and that's all good and well but i mean to me this is a team that should be looking for some win now moves and I'm wondering if there's a deal out there for a player that could help their team, you know, like defensively, they clearly need some support on the wing. I don't know if you can trust Hunter to be there game in and game out. I mean, is Hunter even, is he a trade piece at this point? Do you not want to sell low on him? That's my question with Atlanta because this is scary because it seems like a model that could sustain, you know, if like if Atlanta, if Atlanta, if their offense was, not good and Trey was struggling I'd be like oh you know like they'll get it together I mean I've got enough faith in Trey at this point that like I'm okay with seeing him slump but I mean numbers wise Trey's having the best season of his career 39% from three which is just unbelievable I mean he's a volume shooter he shouldn't be shooting that high 46% from the field that's crazy efficiency for the kind of game that Trey plays so you have your star doing what he's doing but the defense just isn't there and is the is the defense there on the roster? That's my question. I'm not I'm not sure if it is. Yeah, no, that's a really good question. As we were talking about that with Reddish, the the idea popped to me right now. Would would OKC say no to a Reddish for Lou Dort swap straight up? I'm sure. I think the salaries would work out, but that seems to question. benefit both sides. It's good. That's, like I, Lou Dort's straight three and D, and I like that a lot. That prospect. I like I mean, that a lot. Yeah. OKC can't be that. I do like. Have you watched a lot of OKC? Um, uh, uh, I like him. I like him. We'll see. I'm thinking of doing a uh, rookie ladder sometime in the next few weeks, and like getting. We can talk be... rookies. I mean, I, I, Kate is like my favorite player in the NBA right now, so we could talk good, rookies. Good. But I was, high, I was very high on Kate. You were in that. I thought you weren't in that wagon with me for some reason. I'm in the wagon. I'm in the wagon. A Mobley arch nemesis. I like Mobley, but. <laughs> Cade just makes a lot of sense. Yeah. If Cade, you could get – I love Cade's game. I look at Cade, it's like he kind of seems like a baby Doncic, like a mm. light version of Doncic. And if Mobley's a light version of Chris Bosh, how many times do you play that career over and Bosh succeed, supersedes Doncic, you know? Yeah, I mean, I like Mobley. I like Mobley, yeah. but we, yeah, we fall in love really with good. Like, we fall in love with the physical development of bigs. I mean, I think that once Cade puts on some muscle, he's going to be a problem. Because I mean, he's he's got the height, he's got the handle, he can get to his spots. He's still he's just so a little controlled. slight. He's a little slight. I mean, he's 19 years old. What do you expect? Once he gets some muscle on, he's able to ward off defenders. Once he gets into the paint, because you can't keep him from the paint. And once he gets there, his finishing is going to go up another level. Uh, yeah, I think the upside is tremendous. But yeah, I, li- I like yeah. that trade idea a lot. Actually, I think <laughs> it's a backhanded compliment. Going back to the Mobley thing real quick, it is a backhanded compliment, but it's probably apt. Like, he's really enticing for a big man prospect. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. As as arcane, antiquated, big man hierarchy has become, he's going to be really good in that sense. But when you come down to playoff football, there's only so many bigs that are that impactful. And even when they are, there's still to an extent that they're impactful. Like, even Aiden can't keep up with the Giannis's. Yeah. You can't really cast, classify as a big. We'll, we'll see you look with for more of the guys that can. Yeah. I mean, the, like, the archetype is like Anthony Davis in terms of like a big that has like tremendous impact in the finals. Um, so, I mean, like, we, we saw that, you know, I mean, he was playing with LeBron James. But yeah, we, I mean, Anthony Davis was one of the 
was a 1B in that finals, and he was good enough to be the finals MVP. So I guess that's kind of the archetype you're going for. And well, he does he, have Garland. He does. He does have Garland. We could talk it's about it. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm all in on Garland, too. We I don't think either about, of us called that. We could talk about I was a Sexton fan. You were a Garland fan. But it's nice to – I mean, the gang's, the gang's all here. They did it together. They didn't have to sell off either part, and everybody's everybody's happy. Uh, we'll see how happy Sexton is when he comes to the negotiating table, but that's I a conversation for another day. It's a conversation for another day. But um, did you expect anything from the Cleveland? We both thought they'd be funky, fun, and bad, I think. Yeah. I didn't think they. I didn't think they'd be this good, and but we will see. Let's. We gotta be. We gotta be careful to nuance these conversations with. I mean, like we've seen teams go on runs at all points in the season, and there's plenty of time left in the season. You know, we're right. Just as of right now, Cleveland's yeah competitive. They're yeah, they're good, and they're playing great defense. Moby's been really good. Garland's probably playing is playing an all star level, and Ricky Rubio deserves a shot. A lime Ricky will be poured out for you, my man. Kevin Love also has been producing. Really, really nice on the bench, too. He just kind of cheers everybody on. Yeah. Not pouting. He's cool. He's a cool guy. Nice guy. All right. Yeah. Um, you so, touched on the Lakers. Should we go? Should we go there? We can talk about the Lakers. So, I think we have to. Yeah. The, the, the Lakers, they're playing a little bit better recently. They're... So, I mean, they've kind of, they've definitely reaped the fruits of a soft spot in their schedule, and that soft spot will continue tonight against Dallas with Luka Doncic sitting out. But they are 15-13, 6th in the West, offense in the dumps, 23rd. Defense sneaking back up to 10th, which is good because that was kind of their recipe for success when they won the title. Really interesting part of this team right now, though, is they're playing at a high pace. They're second in the NBA in pace. Uh, that's kind of the Westbrook effect, I guess. And I was going to say they're playing Westbrook ball. <laughs> leads to turnovers, but could also lead to some easy buckets. The Lakers are – listen, when you have LeBron James and Anthony Davis, I can only be so skeptical. I don't – uh, I don't I don't know what to say about the, the Lakers. I, I, had them, I had them win in the West before the season. And oh yeah, I we should do that. I don't know if I'm gonna stick with that. I, the, I think the best, the, the Phoenix has definitely probably been the best team in the West. I mean, you have the Warriors too, but I think Phoenix's model is a little bit more sustainable than the Warriors right now. We'll see what the Warriors look like when Clay comes back. But it's good to see the Lakers' defense is picking up. It's good to see LeBron is shaping into form. I mean, there's a lot of murmurs about you know his production going a little bit down his rim touches were down and th- th- those are still true he's shooting a lot of threes he's shooting less free throws than before but still make his way to 26 7 and 6 so i don't really know how much you can complain what do you think about the lakers phil i think they're interesting i also had it was bucks lakers for me in the finals i believe and i mean it would be soft to go back on it now not that i believe in it but i'm just gonna you know hanging out there and hopefully it comes back around and I look I look good by the end but I doubt it so I think the Lakers are kind of struggling to start I mean obviously Westbrook and AD don't make a lot of sense on the floor together that's kind of my main component where AD's three-point shooting has always kind of been overstated or exaggerated to the point where they're like oh Westbrook has four shooters LeBron AD (laughs) 
Bazemore, Rondo, um, Dwight Howard if he's feeling lucky. <laughs> and it's just like, it, it really isn't like that. You can't have AD or Russ on the same floor because you could legitimately pack the paint when you don't have that much shooting, at least in, in your in your folds with LeBron gone because he's probably their best shooter as of right now. The volume and accuracy. So it's been really weird. Taylor Horton Tucker had a really good start. And then same thing with Melo. They had really good starts and they came back around and came back to grad, came back to earth and, it just looks like a very older version of what you would want to see. And it reminds me of, um, I was watching NBA TV and they were about the oldest, one of the oldest rosters was that Knicks one in 2013. Cause they were showing Steph highlights when he played at mm. the garden in like 2013. And I was like that team, that team, but it seems very similar. There's a lot of guys that kind of just go, I, a lot of people waiting around and it's a lot of late shot clock bailouts from, I guess at the time it was Steve Novak guarded contested threes, and now it's Kemp Bazemore, Carmelo Anthony three or contested threes, where Russ, AD, or LeBron eat up so much of the clock. We got to get a shot, and this isn't working. I got to just dump it off. Yeah, the lineup construction is it's it. I'm still just not sure what the best course of action is. What they've been doing recently, uh, with especially with AD missing some games, is throwing LeBron at center and it's it's good for Westbrook because it kind of mimics that style of play he put in the Rockets where he found some success um you know Harden being ball dominant but also being able to like let Westbrook do his thing um and LeBron I think is a little bit more willing to defer than Harden and then you sur- surround him with three shooters. So it could be Mello, it could be Malik Monk, Avery Bradley's been shooting the ball pretty well recently, Wayne Ellington. So that's interesting. Um, it's just hard to imagine them being able to survive with Russ, AD, and a center. Like those lineups, just they're, they're always bad. They're, n- they're never going to be good. And it would be nice if those kind of got eliminated. I-, I think Dwight Howard's like not bad. You know, I think he's a pretty decent NBA center, especially in a limited role, you know, backup center. But starting him or starting DeAndre Jordan, which is even worse with AD and Russ, like that's just shaving points at the beginning of the game and probably shouldn't happen. And it also it, – it's not good for them defensively. It, like they're slow when they do that defensively. I mean, Russ isn't playing good defense, and he really hasn't any time recently. But when you throw Russ with athletes out there, then he could be a little bit more productive. Now now you're flying. Now you can play the passing lanes a little bit more. Um, Do you so qualify I, AD as an athlete nowadays? No. Yeah, I mean, okay. All right, just checking. Because I think there's maybe two or three athletes on the floor. You can't get Russ AD's, with a full AD's a rim. AD is a good rim protector. He's a he's a really he's a really good rim protector. He's, he is, you know, one, he's one getting out. He used no. to be able to get out on the open floor and, and motor, but no, that part of his game has just been completely. Yeah, he's a great rim protector. He's a great help defender. Um, but no, like when I say that, I I, I picture like those 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 small ball lines with LeBron at five. That's when I I see Westbrook playing his best defense. So. It's just the Lakers can be interesting to see how Vogel forms his lineups because I don't think he has a ton of options, but it is definitely noteworthy to see them creep up in defense. And I think part of that is being able to kind of shift those lineups with AD being out. I mean, AD was playing good defense, but I think they've discovered some stuff with him being out that they could definitely use in the future. 
So yeah. I'm interested to see how that goes. Gun your head right now. Who wins the West? Um, you know, I want to talk to you about this. I'm gonna, I'm gonna peel this out for a longer little chat, but I want to talk to you about the Warriors Sun situation that you kind of named. Those are the two figureheads right now in terms of the West, and the Warriors seem to be only getting stronger. But I don't know how much I trust the bench unit of the Warriors. That yeah. Gary Payton, Otto Porter, they don't seem kind of like the Bulls. They don't seem sustainable in the half court. You the majority of their points and their bench production comes in that fast break and it's hyper fast break, you know? So someone's out pushing the ball and maybe Jordan on the floor. And then when you get into the half court, it's like Gary Payton's in one corner, Porter's in the other. Otto Porter's a good shooter, but Gary Payton just zaps you of any spacing. You essentially don't have to guard him out there. And then you put on Kevon Looney or Draymond Green and it's really tough. Yeah, don't disagree. And I think that the lineup is definitely going to have to – the rotations are going to have to be shortened come playoff time. They're, I mean, first in defense, is that real? I I think it's pretty real, but I do think that there's some matchups that can get them some, some trouble. I mean, Golden State's Achilles heel, I think, is going to be rebounding the ball. I mean, they're, they're a pretty small team, and when they throw uh, – like, I mean, even, even their starting lineup – Draymond's a pretty a good rebounder, but Looney at center, he does a good job, but we've seen him kind of be taken advantage of in certain matchups. I mean, even a couple of nights, although they pulled out the win because the Pacers just can't get out of their own damn way. Sabonis had his way down there. And it's 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 definitely troublesome to see that because especially in the Western Conference, there's a whole gamut of, of good big men that you're gonna have to go through. I mean, we, we talked about Anthony Davis, DeAndre Ayton, Nicole Jokic, not saying the Nuggets are really threats, but just those are the kind of teams that if you muck the game up against Golden State, we'll see how well they respond. And I don't disagree. They're, they play some guys that when they're out there, and especially when Steph's on the bench, it's kind of a wreck. So they're a yeah, team that no, I'm not, I'm not – you'd think they'd be a trade candidate to make some moves. Um, you know, like how committed are they to their young guys? How committed are they to Jonathan Kaminga? We still haven't seen James Wiseman this season. So, still a lot of question marks with Golden State, even though they're first in the West and they're playing really good. And you have to say they're contenders. And Stephen Curry's playing at an unbelievably high level, probably MVP of the league at this point. But you've definitely voiced some concerns that are valid. Yeah, and uh, one more tiny thing is like, the defense is good now, but when it comes to playoff time, those guys that are so impactful on defense might be playing themselves off the court or mm. Golden State is you know, sacrificing that offensive punch for the defensive stopping when it might be, you know, it might towards you need the offense and it doesn't matter having these guys out that can play really good defense. So, yeah, having said that, I still think the Warriors are the most interesting and I'll, I'll stick with them for now, I think. You know, Phoenix is a more rounded out, well-balanced team, but Golden State has that it factor and the variability that is Clay Thompson. Having another yeah. all-star, former all-star coming into the fold lets you really diversify and, I don't know, put people in different spots. So maybe Clay runs with the second unit or Steph goes to the second unit. Not, you know, not starting, not saying they're not starting, but like you yeah, have yeah. an extra guy to put in when the bench unit is out there. So you have a pretty good shot creator. Yeah, yeah, for sure. All right. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Warriors and yeah, the the West up top. And any any love for the Jazz at all? 
or we just not, we just don't even feel like talking. <laughs> the about Jazz, the Jazz have been a very good. I should have used that as an example. The Jazz are an aesthetic team. That year, last year, where they went absolute bananas and they were, or was it two years ago where they were the first seed? Last year they were the first seed. Last year they were really good, fun, highfalutin. They couldn't even beat the Clippers without Kawhi. That's an aesthetic team. They really go hard in the regular season. It clicks. They're young. They got the world at the hands. No, it doesn't work like that in the playoffs. That's fair. I mean, you can't knock what they're doing right now. They have the best offensive rating in the league, and they're just shooting the ball like crazy. I'm still just it's, – it's, it's, it's just hard to buy it after last year. I mean, they, they, they kind of made it hard to really believe in them in the, in the regular season. And it's gonna—it's kind of a thing like innocent, a, a guilty until proven innocent at this point, because it's the same team and their defense is good, but we've seen the regular season defense be good and they're still slow on the perimeter. So we'll see what happens with that in the postseason. But yeah, it's kind of—they're—they're—they're like—they're like the James Harden of of teams, the way that we used to just see James Harden score 35 points a game in the regular season and then playoffs that we mixed results. We kind of, we got to see it. And until then it's, we're going to be skeptical. That's kind of just the way it is. All right. Do we, uh, speaking of, do we want to go back to the East, talk about the Nets, maybe even the Celtics? I had some, some, some weird take questions for you to see where bite on them. Okay. Yeah. We, um, we could talk East for a little bit. All right. So, in, in regards of Celtics, we'll get to Nets after. What do you best title? What season was their best title window open or the most open? Um, the most open. Uh, I'd say probably the bubble. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Right. yeah. Yeah. Okay. See, I was thinking more first year with Gordo when he got hurt and he couldn't play the whole year. JV was there. JT was there. Kyrie. Al Horford yeah. was a little more primey. I mean, in theory, yes, but, like, they weren't being the Warriors. They had a lot of pieces. That's no, fair. I get what you're Warriors. saying. But the bubble, yeah, the bubble was a very empty time in terms of. I think that was their best team talent-wise. But Oh, you do? Yeah, but I don't think they were being the Warriors. The Warriors were in a different stratosphere. Oh, I mean, that okay. Was the case. So you're that was... about... I thought you were talking about Bubble was the most talent. No, no, no. The... When they had Kyrie Irving, it was the most talent. But, I mean, the right. the, KD, the KD Warriors were a different world. All right. So. Well, yeah, that was just kind of my thing. I was thinking about this old thing I was trying to do about the Celtics, their best win at that time. And it's like everything else after that kind of got flummoxed because Brad Stevens' whole thing – was being built on small ball kind of rockets, but not to that exaggerated extent where Al Horford, you have a center that's switchable, three small forwards, and then a bigger guard that can kind of handle it. And the Isaiah Thomas then kind of threw it around, but it worked. So he was able to kind of fit it in wings that could switch ability and then have Isaiah Thomas and have Al Horford. Yeah. Or have, except for Isaiah Thomas. And when Kyrie got there, that was his idea where he wanted Jalen Brown, Gordon Hayward, Kyrie, and Al Horford just have that switchability. And even Kyrie could switch on to people and just be that defensive juggernaut. But yeah. it never came into fruition. And that was like the peak time of opportunity for when they 
Yeah, and uh, listen, I was I was high on that team. I mean, I thought that team was going to be crazy, but um, looking back, I think I don't think they're in the same realm as the Warriors. However, I mean, let's so let's kind of use that to like parlay into this team, right? So, do you think this team is built in Stephen's vision at all? I mean, they're right now they are fourteen fourteen, and they're playing a little bit better recently. Their offense is meh. Their defense is actually pretty solid, which I think is a good blueprint for them because I think they should be a good defensive team. And they're always going to be dangerous when they have the Jays, who play pretty good in the playoffs. Those those guys usually show up. So in terms of how they're built, do you think it makes sense for the Stevens model? And do you think that maybe that could lead them to a trade? I'm interested in the construction they have now, I think Stevens, you know, now that he moved into whatever the name you want to call it is, I guess, head of basketball operations, I think is he now has even more of a firm hand on what he wants to do with the squad, as opposed to being a head coach and saying, I want to run this system, see what you guys can get for me. So I think Stevens has done a good job of putting together pieces that make sense with what he wants. And then, you know, having Romeo Langford get more of a role, having Neesmith get more of a role, depending on what you want. One is kind of more three, one is kind of more D. So together they're a decent three and D prospect, but altogether things are kind of coming along. I think this is the best iteration wanted, but there were better chips on the table earlier. Like there were a lot better, more whole guys that he could have had in the lineup. In, That's fair. I guess it was like four years ago, but I don't know. I mean, it seems like the, the Jays don't, Mesh JT's had a really tough time ever since the spacing kind of got zapped out of the floor a year or two ago. I've had this running thing where I think his wing ISO setups are now being pushed out to the wing on the three as opposed to being down towards the block. So now whenever he starts his ISO moves, he's instead being at the block and getting closer to the hoop. He's now settling for mid to deep twos. And it's like, that's so much less effective and it just makes the team flow so weirdly and yeah, the chemistry just gets wonky after that. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, still, it's still a very ice ball, and they're they're still looking for like that playmaking point guard. But I think they're decent. You know, I think the Celtics are decent, and they're they're capable of being frisky in the playoffs. But this definitely isn't the best team that they have that they've had. Yeah, and I just don't. They're such a young team. I suppose as aside from Al Horford, they're such a young team. Why they're the 22nd in pace for the year, it just baffles me. It feels like Schroeder or, I mean, Fast PP did not get a lot of touches or even playing time, but you should have guys that are pushing the ball up the floor. Those are just easy baskets for a team full of pretty good athletes, you know? Yeah, yeah. No, I, I don't disagree. They, they definitely could be playing faster. Mm. Let's, uh, so, final thoughts. Yeah, final thoughts, Nets. Um, real quick. I, I really don't care about how average Harden's been so far. I think it'll be okay in the end. Mm. Okay. What I, you, what's your, your quick thought? I kind of disagree. And I'm a little I'm a little worried with – I think Harden's going to be good, but I'm a little worried with his inability to get to the rim effectively, create shots for himself. I – like I'm, I'm not worried about his ability to make shots, but I think that the burst is a little bit worse. I, I do. It looks it's possible. Hamstring can definitely and, pull that back a little bit. 
Yeah, and the numbers would would um, support that. So doesn't really have that that foul drawing tendency to lean back on anymore. But we've seen him do it without that before, and it's you know just kind. Of, I'm not too worried personally. So why would you? I would just say no worries. I think once it really gets down to it, Harden is going to be as long as he's healthy. Um, he's going to be as impactful as he was without all the free throws that he was able to, you know, guard, what, 10 to 12 free throws a game. Now it's probably cut in half almost because of the new rules. I think he'll be able to be as impactful just being an offensive ball finding touches, being more of an assist guy. It's weird with Kyrie not there, and it sounds like he might be coming back soon, so it might be even weirder for a few games when he's back because Harden's yeah, now we'll trying to that. settle we'll into a point guard role. We'll see. The... <laughs> Rumors are rumors, yeah. But yeah, I mean, his three-point shooting not be this bad forever just based off of how good he is unless there is some kind of shoulder injury or wrist injury that we never knew about. The only thing we should know about or we've known about is this hamstring thing that is theoretically completely solved and gone out of the the situation. Yeah, yeah. So, I'm, I'm, yeah. I think the shooting will come back to earth, but I do see – or not, not, not come back to earth, but I think the shooting will, will improve – but yeah, just in terms of getting to the rim, it's uh, it looks a little bit different for me. And maybe he just kind of yeah. got to get into the rhythm, plays way into shape. Still a lot of, still a lot of season left. But that's what I've seen. I think a lot of the James Harden led lineups that they kind of emulate off of D'Antoni's system, where he kind of runs with the bench unit. It just the on paper should look like the the Rockets of yesteryear, but Paxton is no Clint Capella. He doesn't have that kind of motor. And there's no yeah, shot. But- a side of him or spacing because Joe Harris is gone for. Yeah, no, months. I understand. Yeah, the, and the Joe Harris loss it hurts for sure. But I mean, look, look at last season what he what, what James Harden did. I mean, he he came he came off a flight from Houston, and there was that large chunk of the season if you remember where Kyrie's a wall, Durant's doing load management, and Harden's carrying the Nets on his back. I mean, he he had a real MVP case from the way he was playing. So it's not like we haven't seen him do it with the Nets, you know. It just looks a little bit different this year. And he had the opportunity a few nights ago in that Houston game when Durant takes a, a seat. Durant hasn't missed many games this year, but he missed that one. And the stage was set for Harden to do Harden stuff, and he played like crap, and the Nets lost to the Rockets. So he's had opportunities, and he's done it in the past with Brooklyn. It just hasn't looked the same this year. Yeah, no, I 100% agree. I think that there is something still going on with the hamstring or basically there's something else going on that we don't really know about. And when that's all solved, if it is solved, we'll see the pretty similar or pretty close to top tier Harden that we've seen last year or the year before. That's fair. All right. Well, uh, so final question, Phil, which team are you, which team are you most intrigued by? rest of the season or maybe like just like over the next like month or two next month it's kind of tough because yeah. there's a lot of weird covid stuff like who has who um, yeah it's a lot of weird covid stuff for sure yeah because i probably would say bulls because we don't get to watch a lot of those because they seem to be legit um i, I don't want to say jazz it's boring i'd probably say warriors i guess steph's been a weird little three point slump it seems like it's been going on because he's just been mm. trying to get over the record and just get it done with which is kind of funny so yeah, I, I think they'll kind of get back to being a really well-oiled machine as the next few seasons or next few games go on. And 
maybe maybe I'll hold out on who I want to pick until the trade deadline, not the trade deadline, but December 15th is come and gone because it seems to be the different trade. So maybe some new team will become very interesting out of nowhere. Fair. Okay. What are you thinking? I think it's an interesting time for Dallas, and Luke is missing time right now, so that kind of sucks. But assuming he comes back soon, um, yeah, I'm interested to see if they kind of make a push there they are or take a step back. So, all right. uh, Before we forget, do you want to run through quickly our our fantasy Moneyball schematic? Sure. You can. All right. So. That's that. About a third of the way through the season. We got our teams to look out for. We wrapped up our analysis of what we've seen from a bunch of teams so far. And that's that. Any final thoughts, Phil? I did have a final thought. Do you want to do quick? Because we didn't get to do this in the last pod because it never came. The MVP, Rookie of the Year, Sixth Man of the Year stuff. I think I'm pretty much ready to just launch them. If you are. Yeah, we can launch them. So I had... Preseason, I went MVP Giannis, Rookie of the Year Cade, Sixth Man D Rose. Is that all? Yeah. Who are we thinking of? Depoy. Oh. Depoy. Oh, I went Miles Turner. Oh, right, right, right. I forgot you were. I went MVP Giannis, Depoy Giannis, the Year Jordan Poole, and Rookie of the Year Cade. Do you remember MIP? MIP. I forgot about MIP. I believe I went Garland. You might have went Garland. Um, honestly, I think I I went Sexton, if I recall correctly. But now that's kind of out the wind. So I don't even <laughs> know. Maybe I think it's going to be the MIP in the six man of the year is going to flop whoever out of Tyler Hero and Jordan Poole, the six man of the year is the other MIP. And then whoever gets, you know, Jordan Poole got MIP, Hero's getting six man or. That's fair. So I'll roll with that. All right. So you got our picks. You got our analysis. That's that. Follow us on Twitter at HoopsGoopPod. Listen to our podcast on all platforms. And I'll catch you guys next time. Peace. Later.